Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. We wanted to start off this week's podcast just to say thank you. We, we receive uh, occasional emails from listeners. That... Most of them negative. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, know, you know, Paul from Minnesota writes, why do you exist? Uh, you know. And I don't think he means it like in a philosophical no, way. No, it was, it was Why do you specifically? Yeah, why is this podcast? You know, what is this? But we, uh, but we do very much appreciate uh, the listeners to the podcast and to the, the kind emails that we receive. We don't uh, respond to all of them, and we aren't able to get to all of the the questions. We have an enormous operating budget of, <laughs> of zero, and so um, essentially all of the time we spend doing this is is you know we whatever we are the staff. It's it's us. That is correct, and so our wives are producers. Basically, they tell they they tell us. How bad each of the episodes are. That is that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's and like, very accurate. It is, it's true. It's like we we are in the middle of talking, we look back and it's like a like a Roman emperor thumb going up or down. Yeah. Always yeah. almost going almost oh, always. Yeah, it's down. always it could go either way. Are we okay with this podcast <laughs> and it's always no, no, they are not. No, we're not. Yeah, whatever the topic is, you fail. <laughs> but but anyway, we we do uh, read all of the emails that we we get and are very grateful for them. And um, we read the ones on the air that just say nice things, right? Um, because like all self-aggrandizing <laughs> people do. That's right. Uh, this comes to us from Kathy from Snowflake, Arizona. No questions for now. Just a big, uh, just a big thank you for making this, these podcasts. I enjoy them so much. Kathy, you are our favorite. Yeah. Uh, listener right now. It was Gina from Montpelier. Gina, we're going to need another email. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Wait, we want... Telling Garrett how smart he is and how great he is and how, you know. No, it's, uh, we really appreciate North everybody. And, 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 and I wish we could answer every question. The problem is some of the questions we do get. Now, first of all, Kathy's is a very easy question to answer. Which... Which she said, I have no, no question questions. for now. That, yeah. You got it, Kathy. Yeah, here's the well, answer coming for you. The, the answer is whatever we're about to podcast on today. That's right. But and she's already regretting her email. She's like, geez. She's like, yeah, hopefully there's not too many Kathy's living in Snowflake. You didn't have to say where I live. Um, people will see me at the store and know who I am. Um, but uh, we, we, some of the questions we get, they're just a little too obscure or a little too elaborate for us to be able to answer. Or they're about polygamy. Which is all of the other questions. So That's they, right. yeah, we have a we have a file of questions about polygamy and and then an empty file called questions that aren't about polygamy. <laughs> but um at some point we'll try to do that. It, I know we we talk about it. The problem is it, it's really hard in a in a you know, 50 minute podcast to 
in any way cover any topic with any depth. And and I know that people say, well, you don't don't cover it all the way in depth, but that's you're talking to the the wrong person, right? That that you're uh, you're talking to a, a historian who who's like their their entire job is to make sure that you cover every single nuance so that people really understand what it is. And you've got, you know, other people on the other side, they're just like, just, so just tell me what happened. Just tell me, just tell me, you know? And so we will at some point do it. I think we can commit to that. Okay. I mean, well, because we don't have any money mind. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. We'll get to it. Yeah, that's it. what we're holding out for. We're holding out for, for, for someone to say, I'm gonna sponsor your podcast if you do a podcast yeah, you know what? on plural yeah, I've, 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 You know what? I've already turned on Kathy. If you like it so much, send us money. Oh my goodness gracious, <laughs> Kathy! Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a business PhD, so so he is is he's constantly thinking about money, and uh, you know how we got him to participate in this non-monetized free podcast. Nobody knows. We're getting a lot of thumbs down right now. A lot of <laughs> thumbs down. I was just kidding, Kathy. All right. Well, um, I we kind of talked about in our last episode that we were going to move into Missouri. I don't mean like it's the second coming and we're all better hurry and get to Missouri. But the, talking about the events surrounding that. And we've, we've talked about some of these themes throughout the various – I mean – this is religion and history combined, right? And so there's a lot of overlapping themes. You're not going to go very far in any of these church history podcasts where we don't, you know, mention Joseph Smith because this is the time period that we're covering. And so um, some things, you know, if you're listening to all the episodes, there might be some that come across as repetitious because we cover the same point, but from a different angle. And one of those themes that we've touched on multiple times, I, at least I think we have, have we? I don't even know. Yeah, the idea um, of, of Zion. The idea of Zion. Yeah, we talked about yeah. other kind of other communities and kind of the sense of ga- of the gathering of bringing people right. together. And and I think we want to focus on that, especially as we lead into what's going on in Missouri, because uh, well, what eventually happens in Missouri isn't good. And so it's important that we understand what is going on leading up to it and why the saints feel so compelled to settle in in, in Jackson County, Missouri in particular. And so I, I figured we'd, we'd spend a little bit of time on that. Um, obviously, Zion is is mentioned in the Bible. The idea of Zion is in the Bible, but, but that doesn't cause most Christians to believe that they need to build a city where they're going to await the second coming of Jesus. Now, the idea of creating a utopian city is not unique to Latter-day Saints. Uh, obviously, there are multiple different utopian societies and Christian communities that, that try to do so um, and, and even try to share wealth and commodities. And we, we have a whole podcast where we talk about shakers, where they're trying to create these, these communal societies. But the concept of the city of Zion and the New Jerusalem is something different. And for Latter-day Saints, it's going to form a major basis of their of their beliefs throughout Joseph Smith's lifetime. And that that's going to it's going to affect where the Latter-day Saints live. It's going to affect what their relationship is with other settlers in the area. It's going to affect why people leave the church or join the church. It's just a such a prominent part of of Latter Day Saint belief in 
in the early period of the church. There are people who will join the church specifically because of the idea of Zion. Not because they read the Book of Mormon, but because of the idea of the city of Zion. So where where does this start? Well, it starts as, as early as the translation of the Book of Mormon, when as they're translating it, of course, in Ether, it talks about an, that Ether you know, saw a, a vision of the New Jerusalem being built upon this land. And uh, it, it's something that's reiterated in 3 Nephi chapter 21, talking about this New Jerusalem that's going to be built. Um, this, of course, is after Jesus has, has, has come and, and has appeared to the people and is, is, is uh, preaching to them. And verily I say unto you, this is verse 1 of 3 Nephi chapter 21. Verily I say unto you, I give unto you a sign that ye may know the time when these things shall be about to take place, that I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall again and shall establish again among them my Zion. He goes on then to give this description of of these various things that are going to go on, primarily this 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 missionary work. But you get some details about this. This is uh, this is all going to be very familiar to you at this time. For in that day, for my name's sake, this is verse nine, the Father shall the Father work a work which shall be great and marvelous work among them, and there shall be among them those who do, will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Therefore, they shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred because of them. Yet I will heal him, for I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Therefore, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles, and shall give unto him power that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles, it shall be done even as Moses said, they shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. So describing this coming forth of the Book of Mormon, which of course Joseph, as he's translating, is engaged in that as they're they're, uh, translating the book. He goes on to uh, talk about this place that's going to be established. Um, But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them. And they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. And they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob, and also as many of the house of Israel as shall come, that they may build a city which shall be called the New Jerusalem. And then shall they assist my people, that they may be gathered in who are scattered upon all the face of the land unto the New Jerusalem. And then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and I will be in their midst. And then shall the work of the Father commence at that day, even when the gospel shall be preached among the remnant of this people. Verily I say unto you, at that day shall the work of the Father commence among all the dispersed of my people, yea, even all the tribes which have been lost, which the Father led away out of Jerusalem. So from the very beginning, from, from the translation of the Book of Mormon, there are these multiple references that prior to the second coming of, of the Lord, there is going to be this new Jerusalem, this city that is going to be established. Joseph's going to receive other revelations that are going to talk about 
how great and glorious the city is going to be. And we we referenced this, you know, as you said once before, in in particular when we talked about the false revelations that Hiram Page had received with Doctrine and Covenants section twenty eight. And 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 so many people believe they were true. Well, what did those false revelations surround? The location of the city of Zion. So the Book of Mormon prophesies that there's going to be a city of Zion. Joseph's revelations talk about there there's going to be this new Jerusalem, the city of Zion. And so the natural response of many members is, you know, where is it? Um, Doctrine of Section 28 reminds um, Oliver Cowdery that no man knows where it is. So even though Hiram Page has received these false revelations, now behold, I say unto you that it is not revealed and no man knoweth where the city of Zion shall be built, but it shall be given hereafter. So at some point in the future, they're going to have that, that, but they don't have it yet. Even after they move to Kirtland, this question of where is the city of Zion is going to be such a big deal that Joseph's going to have to receive an entire revelation on this. They are establishing themselves in Kirtland. There's thousands of, of people now joining the church. It, it is, it's, it's growing very rapidly. And of course, it's very easy for people to say, hey, we're already building a city here in Kirtland. Maybe this is Zion. And in fact, uh, in uh, the history, this is how Doctrine and Covenants section 48 is introduced. Some had supposed that Ohio was to be the place of gathering, even the place of the New Jerusalem spoken of in the Book of Mormon, according to the visions and revelations received in the last days. And so because people are claiming that, Joseph's going to ask. And uh, verse 5 of, of Doctrine and Covenants section 48 is going to say, The place is not yet to be revealed. But after your brethren come from the east, there are to be certain men appointed, and to them it shall be given to know the place, or to them it shall be revealed. So you keep getting closer to the fact that this might actually be revealed. Even when Oliver Cowdery is sent on his mission, um, after Doctrine comes section 28, he's sent out on that mission because he uh, was believing those, those higher page revelations. Part of his mission was apparently to try to locate the city of Zion while he was on his mission. In fact, the men who are leaving, they sign a missionary covenant. It's one of our earliest documents we have in the church. They, they sign this missionary agreement or covenant with one another of what that it is that they are going to do on their mission. That, that covenant reads like this. It's October 17th, 1830. So Oliver Cowdery and his missionary companions have been called by revelation to go on this mission, right? And it reads, I, Oliver Cowdery, being commanded of the Lord God to go forth unto the Lamanites to proclaim glad tidings of great joy unto them by presenting unto them the fullness of the gospel of the only begotten Son of God and also to rear up a pillar as a witness where the temple of God shall be built in the glorious new Jerusalem. And having uh, certain brothers with me who are called of God to assist me, whose names are Parley Pratt, Peter Whitmer Jr., and Ziba Peterson, do therefore most solemnly covenant before God that I will walk humbly before him and do this business and this glorious work according as he shall direct me by the Holy Ghost, ever praying for mine and their prosperity and deliverance from bonds and imprisonments and whatsoever may befall us with all patience and faith. So early on, I mean, the Book of Mormon's uh, published in March, and 
by October, not only are revelations referencing the city of Zion and saints um, anxiously wondering where it's going to be, part at least of Oliver Cowdery's mission is to rear up a pillar as a witness where the temple of God shall be built in the glorious new Jerusalem. So this this is something that's very much on their minds. And, and when they get to Kirtland, one of the questions is, is this Zion? Now, the fact that it isn't is already being used by people who are trying to deceive, claiming that they know where the new Jerusalem is, just like just like uh, Hiram Page's revelation, we're able to try to convince people that this is where the new Jerusalem is. People in Kirtland were trying to say the same thing. It seems to be a kind of standard stock and trade we've already talked about that what's one of the things that everyone can always try to get some following for, and that is claiming that they know when the second coming is. In Joseph Smith's time, it's not only the second coming, it's where the city of new, the new Jerusalem is going to be because it precedes the second coming. So it's still related to the second coming. But that's um, that's the, the reality of it. In addition to that, Joseph's going to receive uh, revelations that will continually look forward to this as this place of peace, as as a place of of a land flowing with with milk and honey. The descriptions of Zion are 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 incredible, and in the Lord directly connects it to the the city of Enoch, the Zion of Enoch, and how that holy city was taken up to God. So it could be the same type of of peace and happiness among the Latter-day Saints. And that's why Zion's so attractive to people. This idea that I could actually go to a place where there actually is this, this equality and also love of God. Verse 18 of Doctrine and Covenants section 38. I hold forth and deign to give you unto you great riches, even a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, upon which there shall be no curse when the Lord cometh. And I will give it unto you for your land of your inheritance, if you seek it with all your hearts. And this shall be my covenant with you. Ye shall have it for the land of your inheritance and for the inheritance of your children forever while the earth shall stand. And ye shall possess it again in eternity, no more to pass away. But verily I say unto you, that in time ye shall have no king nor ruler, for I will be your king and watch over you. Wherefore, hear my voice and follow me, and you shall be a free people. And you shall have no laws but my laws when I come, for I am your lawgiver, and what can stay my hand? But verily I say unto you, teach one another according to the office wherewith I have appointed you, and let every man esteem his brother as himself, and practice virtue and holiness before me. And again I say unto you, let every man esteem his brother as himself. For what man among you having twelve sons, and is no respecter of them, and they serve him obediently? And he saith unto the one, Be thou clothed in robes, and sit thou here. And to the other, Be thou clothed in rags, and sit thou there. And looketh upon his sons, and saith, I am just. Behold, this I have given unto you as a parable, and it is even as I am. I say unto you, be one. And if you are not one, ye are not mine. And again, I say unto you that the enemy, uh, that, that the enemy in secret chambers seeketh your lives. Ye hear of wars in far countries, and ye say that you know that there will see me great wars in far countries, but ye know not the hearts of men in your own land. I tell you these things because of your prayers. 
Wherefore, treasure up wisdom in your bosoms, lest the wickedness of men reveal these things unto you by their wickedness, in a manner which shall speak in your ears with a voice louder than that which shall shake the earth. But if you are prepared, you shall not fear. This explanation of of this city of peace and where everyone esteems their brother as themselves is is part of why some people are drawn to early Latter-day Saint theology. They want to be in a place where the poor are taken care of, where the rich are giving of their substance so that they can, they can take care of others. The Lord also connects this idea to the, the Nephites and their love of riches at times in the Book of Mormon. And if ye seek the riches, which it is the will of your Father to give unto you, ye shall be the richest of all people, for ye shall have the riches of eternity. It must needs be that riches of the earth are mine to give, but beware of pride, lest ye become as the Nephites of old. So you get this direct correlation to the prophecies of the new the new Jerusalem in the Book of Mormon and uh, the kind of warning that the earthly riches are not the things that we're supposed to be looking for. This really is a real test of discipleship, I think, for everybody. Uh, whether you are rich or, or poor, everything about this world compels us to think that what is happening now in this material world matters most. What, 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 I, what I have, what I can see and taste and touch, what I experience, that that's what matters most. And yet Christianity in general and Latter-day Saints theology in particular in relation to the idea of a city of Zion and, and a future life after this life is about sublimating the, the, the desires that you have for wealth and prosperity here so that you can receive the riches of eternity. If you seek the riches, which it is the will of my father to give unto you, you shall be the richest of all people for you shall have the riches of eternity. The riches of eternity are not that your field produces more than anyone else's field does. They are not that you end up with the car that you want to have the riches of eternity is, is that promise of eternal life to be able to become like your heavenly father. And, and so while we, we talk about the creation of the city of Zion as a physical place, and they very much believe that it is, it, it is a transitory thing of, of kind of trying to create heaven on earth. Reflective of the fact that in heaven, it won't really matter whether I was rich or whether I was poor. In heaven, we'll have, we'll have the riches of eternity. And if I was poor on this earth, then I'll have the riches of eternity. If I was rich on this earth, I'll, as long as I strove to, to, to live the gospel and, and to, help, to help others. Um, so that, that idea is so powerful. It's on the mind of everyone. Well, in the summer of 1831, Joseph is finally going to receive the revelation 
that explains that they are going to be told where the city of Zion is going to be built. They keep being told it's going, you're going to get it. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming soon. It's coming in a minute. Eventually we'll have it. It's like you talking about the the polygamy episode. It's essentially 100% me talking about polygamy. I I don't actually, I don't really like the comparison of me to God in any way. Um, But uh, in the sense that, they know that it's coming, and he keeps saying, just wait for it. <laughs> um, that's, yes, very much so when it comes to polygamy. Um, there is uh, these, these promises that, that they are going to, they're going to have it revealed to them if they are, if they are patient, right? If they, if they follow the commandments, God's going to reveal it. Well, this is where section 57 of the Doctrine and Covenants comes in. So, so in Doctrine, in, in the middle of July, there are several re- uh, re- revelations in June of 1831 that talk about this great call of elders to go to Missouri. They're, they're promised great blessings that they go. We've, we've highlighted some of those in, in past uh, podcasts, but they are asking the question, when will the wilderness blossom as the rose? When will Zion be built up in her glory? And where will thy temple stand under which all nations shall come in at the last day? And then Joseph's going to receive this revelation. Now, like like I said, it had been prophesied of section 52 of the Doctrine and Covenants explained that they would receive this this revelation um, after these saints go to uh, to the land of land of Missouri, but they would they would know where the city of Zion is going to be built. Uh, so if we go to uh, section fifty seven, um, we could probably start. Uh, well, let's just start with the first verse. It's the first several verses. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, saith the Lord your God. Who've assembled yourselves together according to my commandments in this land, which is the land of Missouri, which is the land which I have appointed and consecrated for the gathering of the saints. So right there, this is where the saints are going to gather. Verse two, wherefore, this is the land of promise and the place for the city of Zion. So Missouri generally, where they're at is that land. And then specifically where they are actually standing. And thus saith the Lord your God, if you will receive wisdom, here is wisdom. Behold, the place which is now called Independence is the center place. And a spot for the temple is lying westward upon a lot which is not far from the courthouse. Wherefore, it is wisdom that the land should be purchased by the saints and also every tract lying westward, even unto the line running directly between Jew and Gentile. Um, this is a, uh, a reference to the fact that this is the very far Western reaches of Missouri. And so when you hit the Missouri border, the border that you hit is the native American lands that it's, it's part of the Louisiana purchase. It's, it's, you know, nominally owned by the United States, but this is land that are, that, that native Americans and, and, and even more native Americans are going to be in because with the Indian removal act of 1830, the federal government is actively relocating all of the, the Native American tribes east of the Mississippi to uh, lands designated for them west of the Mississippi. Remember, a, 
Oliver Cowdery did go try to preach them, Oliver Cowdery and Parley Pratt, and they actually enjoyed some initial success until the federal Indian agent uh, told them that if they didn't leave, he would throw them in jail. Um, to which, uh, you know, why are you going to throw us in jail? Well, because you're preaching to the Indians without a license. To which, you know, Parley Pratt and Oliver Cowdery say, well, how can we get a license? And, and well, well, you can't have a license because you're a Mormon, essentially. I mean, they, they aren't told that, but they never get their license. So it's a, it's very it's very easy to win that circular argument when you say, you can't preach here unless you have a license. Can I have a license? No. Okay. Well, then I guess that uh, makes it very simple. That uh, And so they, they're preaching uh, temporarily in just in that independence area, but they don't have a ton of success. In fact, the very fact that this place of Zion is declared there in Jackson County is a real problem for many members of the church. If you're listening in Missouri, I, I don't mean in any way to make to denigrate your state. The Missouri I'm talking about is a Missouri back in the day before air conditioning. It's back in the day before roads. You know, I mean, it's it it is the furthest western point of of an American state there in in, in Independence. I mean, there's part of Missouri it's slightly further west, but essentially, this is far west you can get in a state of the United States. This is so far west that it's a thousand miles west of Kirtland. A thousand miles. This is not just, hey, I think I'll take a walk over to Kirtland today. It, it, it is more than a month's journey for most people to travel it. And here in this furthest western part of very rural Missouri, which if you've ever been to western Missouri, I just described all of western Missouri. Drive north of Kansas City I, ever. I mean, right? I mean, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. It's, it's, it's lovely country. But it's yeah pretty remote. To give you an idea of how rural Missouri is, there were more people living in Caldwell County in Missouri, which is where Far West is in Missouri. There were more people living in Caldwell County in 1838 when the Mormons lived in Far West than live in Caldwell County today. You know, however much the the, the population of the state has, you know, I don't know how many times it's increased. We should get our people on that. Yeah, we'll get the researchers on that. Get the right research away. team on that. Uh, uh, and by that, I mean Richard will open his computer. Um, uh, it, it would it, it'd be bad form if you heard me asking Siri on the podcast, but I'm sure you're already doing that at home. Garrett, they're crunching the numbers as we speak. Okay, good. We've got we've got we've got our team working on it, and they'll they'll get back to us. Um, but the population of the United States is, you know hundreds of millions of more people than it was in 1838. And yet that area is so rural that, you know, minus a group of religious zealots who were settled there because God commanded them to settle there, you don't get a ton of settlement. So uh, there are people who view the location of Zion as, as a kind of a mistake. They, 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 this is not what they signed up for. Um, for instance, uh, one of the people who has traveled with the, the Latter-day Saints down there that, that has come to see this great city of Zion is one of the early apostates from the church and, and one of the more powerful apostates. His name is Ezra Booth. 
Ezra Booth was an ordained Methodist minister and a, and a very powerful one. And he is converted. And one of the things that converts him is the idea of the city of Zion. This idea that there is this perfect place where we're going to go and we're going to establish this city where there's going to be no rich and no poor and everyone's going to live the gospel and it's going to be a place of peace and of refuge and of happiness. It's, it's what makes him a believer. These men set out from, from Kirtland with high hopes that they're going to be arriving at this, this wonderfully great and, and prepared land for this. The problem is it's a, it's a long journey. I don't know if any of you have ever taken a really long, you know, car ride with friends, right? I mean, I mean, if you're going to go on a trip with friends, uh, you, you kind of top out at two days. By the third day, something that one of your friends is doing is going to annoy you. By the fourth day, you'll wonder why it is your friends. And by the fifth day, you won't be friends. Uh, and, and, you know, you someone flies home early. Or, you know, to, to quote Benjamin Franklin, right, that fish and house guests both stink after three days. Well, that's th- that's the reality is that on these the, this incredibly difficult long journey down to Missouri, by the time that many of these men arrive, they are worn out. They are hungry. People like Levi Hancock couldn't even make it down there because he got such bad blisters on his feet that he had to be convalescing in some non-member's house for, for several weeks, didn't even make it down there. So I think for some of them, they built up in their mind that when they got to Zion, you know, that, you know, there'd be no cats in America and the streets would be paved with gold. Uh, I, 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 that's a reference. Cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, they're, uh, oh, they're paved with cheese. I guess yeah, you're right. Yeah, there are yeah. no cats in America yeah, yeah, yeah. according to Feifel Mouskowitz. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. But the, the, the idea is that we're going to get there and this place is going to be the most beautiful place I've, I've ever seen. Well, that is not what Jackson County, Missouri is in 1831 because it is this, this extremely Western town in, in Missouri. I mean, Missouri's primary population is in the St. Louis area. I mean, then as now, but, but really, especially then, I mean, there was no, Kansas City the way that 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 uh, there is today that that's going to come later. And so you know as one Latter-day Saint remarked that the only way you could tell whether or not people were whether or not it was the Sabbath day in 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 independence was that the saloons and gambling halls were more filled on that day than the other days of the week. It kind of gives you an idea of the visual. This is kind of this you know, dirty Western frontier settlement um, with a lot of gambling and, and, and lack of refinement. And so for people like Ezra Booth, when they saw that, they were like, uh, I think you need to check your compass again. You know, this is, this can't be, this can't be the, the land of Zion. H- how could it possibly be? And, and they apostatize. So uh, the researchers got back to me. There was about oh. 9,000 people living in Caldwell County today, and there were about 10,000 Mormons living in Caldwell County in about 1838. There you go. You have in uh, Missouri, you have um, back in 1840, about 384,000 people. 
in Missouri and about 6.1 million in Missouri today. Right. So even though the population of Missouri has increased essentially, I mean, what is that? 18 times? Quite a few. And thank you yeah. to our researchers, Max, Parker, Andrew, the whole team. Did they do this? They crunched all the numbers. I, Thank I'm, you so I'm much. I'm pretty sure I don't even know, know that they're around. They're on the payroll. Wow. We have zero operating budget. <laughs> well, yeah. So you're paying them in love. <laughs> That's right. You're just, you're, they, they, those are Richard's sons. So he's, he's, he's going to press them into the work. There's, there are a couple of my sons, you know. Yeah, it's not all of us. No, no, it's true. Rigdon's still working off that, that, uh, that car accident. Oh, right, right. You, I noticed you didn't mention him. I did. Yeah. Well, we need to get him on this. He's good with numbers. Um, so the the very fact that the temple is going to be located there is a problem. And it's not just a problem for Ezra Booth. It, it's a problem for Edward Partridge. And with Edward Partridge, it is a really... It, it's a, one of those painful episodes to actually deal with in early church history because Edward Partridge is the kind of person you want to love. I mean, this guy, he, <laughs> a bunch of, uh, okay, let, let's paint the picture for Edward Partridge. He is a believe he is, he is a, uh, a business owner in the Kirtland area, uh, in the Painesville area, especially. And, doing very well. He's well off. And a, a few of these crazy preachers come to town. It's Parley Pratt and, and, and uh, Oliver Cowdery and Ziba Peterson and Peter Whitmer Jr. They are telling this crazy story that Joseph Smith is a prophet who's translated an entirely new book of scripture that angels are appearing to him, that, that, that this, this church has been restored. And Sidney Rigdon, one of the prominent preachers in the area in Mentor, Ohio, has this large congregation and they are all, I mean, not all of them, but many of them are converted. About half of them are converted, actually. And then the other half actually vote to dispossess Sidney Rigdon of the house that they'd given him because he was their pastor. So it's not a good way to maintain your home is to convert to a Latter-day Saint if you happen to be a pastor of another religion. But um, So Partridge sees many of his friends who are parts of this congregation joining this church. And the church goes from having zero members in Ohio to having 100, 150 members within the space of three weeks. It's this massive explosion. I, I, I'm sure there's, well, I'm not sure. If there happens to be a missionary on their mission in Ohio today, they will be saying to me, oh, really? 150 in two weeks, huh? like to see those numbers again. You know, I mean, and they, they, they are certainly not enjoying that same level of success. Or if you are, please email us. Um, and so Edward Partridge decides, I can't let this happen because my friends and, my, and family members are being deceived by this. Or at the very least, I need to go meet this Joseph Smith guy. They're claiming that he's a prophet. And Partridge is going to go and uh, and meet Joseph and 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 be converted. Well, imagine if you happen to be, you know, if you happen to be uh, Mrs. Partridge and home comes uh, your husband. 
He left saying, I'm going to go demonstrate what these Mormons are all about. And he comes back saying, Hey, I'm a member of one of them. And by the way, uh, uh, only a few days later, he's called to be the first bishop in the church. And he's called to go on this mission. And um, Lydia Partridge, his wife, talks about what a terrible thing this is because their family's all sick because they've taken people in. And so Edward Partridge is going to leave his family to go to Missouri at the worst possible time. She says, my eldest daughter was taken down with lung fever. And while she was at the worst my husband was called by revelation to go with a number of others to Missouri to locate a place for the gathering of the saints. The unbelievers thought he must be crazy or he would not go. Talk about your reversal, right? In December of 1830, Partridge is a skeptic who doesn't believe in, in February of uh, 1831, Partridge is the first and only at the time bishop in the church and being called to this, this high office. And then only a few months later, he's called to go on this thousand mile each way mission to Missouri. And, and at a time when his family is sick. So that is quite the turnaround. Could you give some additional insight to what his conversion must have looked like? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to do it any injustice. You know, I'm sure that there are Partridge family members listening that, uh, uh, and I don't mean the TV show. I don't mean, wow. I don't mean that. That's um, funny. Um, Partridge. Right. That, that uh, other people can probably uh, uh, fill in some more gaps, but we, we at least have some sources that say that the reason why Partridge goes he goes with Sidney Rigdon, right? So he's very familiar with Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon's his preacher. But Sidney Rigdon is going because he's a believer, because he's already joined. He's already accepted the Book of Mormon. And that Partridge is going more because he is a skeptic. He doesn't believe. So you have one source that says um, that um, he was going uh, to represent others in Painesville who are inquiring about the church. And, and one source says that the Ohio citizens, they, they held a meeting and specifically chose Partridge because quote, he is a man who would not lie to save his right arm. And at least according to the source. And, and again, it's so hard when you only have these later sources looking back, they at least claim the source at least claims that, these residents of Painesville, these skeptical residents of Painesville actually paid part of his expenses to go. So you're going to go investigate this because we know you're not going to lie about it. We know that, you know, again, now think about, we talked about the early, the early issues with, with anti-Mormonism, right? Initially, what's the reaction? This is crazy. Only a crazy, stupid person would believe that an angel brought gold plates to somebody, right? Right. So what's a way of diffusing that? Well, here's someone I know who's not poor, he's well off, who's intelligent, who's proven himself to be an honest community leader like Edward Partridge, right? So we'll send him to investigate it because what, what they're thinking in their mind is there's no possible way 
that someone like Edward Partridge is going to be deceived by this. I mean, sure. I mean, Heman Bassett, you know, thinking an angel is showing him a picture of God's crown. Sure. Heman Bassett all day long, but not Edward Partridge. And so I, I, I really want to believe that that's true, that they helped pay his way out there to try to keep him, you know, to, to have him bring back the dirt on Joseph and then he gets converted. But I don't know, but I, that's at least a source. Um, um, one of uh, uh, Lucy Mack Smith is going to talk about this whole experience. So I'm going to quote from her book. In December of the same year, Joseph appointed a meeting at our house. While he was preaching, Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge came in and seated themselves in the congregation. When Joseph had finished his discourse, he gave all who had any remarks to make the privilege of speaking up. Upon this, Mr. Partridge arose and stated that he had been to Manchester with the view of obtaining further information respecting the doctrine which we preached. But not finding us, he made some inquiry of our neighbors and concerning our character, which they stated had been unimpeachable until Joseph deceived us relative to the Book of Mormon. So he's going to ask the neighbors, like, <laughs> so were the Smiths honest? Well, well they were honest till they believed the gold Bible thing. And then other than that, you know. Uh, um, um, he also said that he had walked over our farm. This is my favorite part of this story. And it gives you an idea. Remember back to our conversation about competency? That was the one that was slightly worse than the conversation about townships. Yes. You remember that one? A competent farmer. Yeah, a competent farmer. It gives you an idea of how culturally important land ownership is and how people take care of their land. Apparently, one of the things that really convinces him that these people must not be evil people is he goes and looks at their farm. And, you know, if you think, well, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Edward Partridge is judging you by your farm. How does it look? He, uh, this is again, back to Lucy. He said that he'd walked over our farm and observed the good order and industry, which it exhibited. And having seen what we had sacrificed for the sake of our faith and having heard that our veracity was not questioned upon any other point than that of our religion. He believed our testimony and he was ready to be baptized. He said, if brother Joseph will baptize me. Joseph responds to him again, according to Lucimac, you are now, uh, you are now much fatigued, Brother Partridge. You'd better get rest today and be baptized tomorrow. Just as Brother Joseph thinks best, replied Mr. Partridge, and I'm ready at any time. And, he, and he's baptized the, the next morning in the Seneca River. So, so he comes, okay, so this I'm having some difficulty here. This doctrine's a little hard. I, I don't quite understand. Let me go take a look at your corn. Yeah. Well, those those furrows are right nice, aren't they? You know what? All right, okay. let's do it. You know let's what? baptize you right know? now. Well, you're tired. Let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he is willing to be baptized, at least according to that uh, that account. And so, imagine if you're Lydia Partridge, right? <laughs> you 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 again. The the, the Partridges are are fairly well off. He's he's a uh, uh, he's actually a, a haberdasher. I'll let you explain what that is to the. Folks at home. A person that sells things. <laughs> what type of things? Haberdash related items. What is it like a mercantile exchange? <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like a kind of... Uh, I'm getting some uh, comments from the peanut gallery um, that it... A hat. That a haberdasher is, is a hat maker and salesman. Oh, there we go. 
And so you can actually, if you get the Painesville Telegraph and other early uh, Ohio newspapers, you can find, uh, you know, ads for Edward Partridge and his his shop. So, but it seems to be doing pretty well. He also owns land. I mean, he's he's not. Uh, well, so but so then you have him going back to Lydia Partridge and saying, "Okay, so so lay it out for me." It's like, well. I was baptized. You did what? Exactly. You should have seen their cord. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's his, his argument that he's going to make to them. Is He's like, I know, Lydia. I know. But their corn was in the right furrows. I don't know. That's, I, I, well, but he also, you know, he talked to their, of course. He, he did this investigation. It's very interesting because he kind of does this secular investigation, right? Well, I'm going to go talk to the people who know them and see what they say. And he finds that they all have one negative thing to say, and that is that they believe the gold Bible is real, but they don't really have any depth of that. You know, what's the problem with the Smiths? It's that they believe that the gold Bible is real. So, so this is interesting. So is it's that um, it's that they didn't necessarily, because in terms of doctrine and teachings, I mean, they, they aren't really jumping into the deep end yet, right? So it really comes down to this idea of uh, a, hey, this is, Christ's church on earth, and, and here is this Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Um, is it just coming to understand that, yeah, this thing, the, the story that you're telling me, this thing is is true, I believe this yeah, story. Yeah, and, and I mean, go. for Protestants, it, which everyone involved in this is, um, the it, it's established fact and has been for you know 300 years at this point that the Bible is literally the only source of the word of God. It, it, it is the primary argument against the Catholic church is that they not, well, there's lots of arguments. Let, let me, let me just backtrack. Okay. There's all kinds of arguments against the Catholic church that Protestants make. But one of those main arguments is that they have beliefs that cannot be sustained in scripture. The scripture is the only place, the Bible is the only place to have knowledge. There's a reason why when you talk to your Christian friends and you share the gospel with them, they will very, very, very often respond to you, can you show me that in the Bible? Because that's where truth comes from. That doesn't mean you can't hear nice things and have a nice meme on Instagram that you like. It, it, it means that if we're talking about eternal truth, it has to come from the Bible. So the real radical part of, of, of everything that Joseph is saying is that there is other scripture and that angels are appearing to him. The doctrine itself in 1831 is not super radical, right? That, that, that it's not, they haven't revealed work for the dead. They haven't revealed that hell doesn't exist. They haven't revealed multiple levels of heaven. They haven't revealed becoming like God. They haven't revealed... Well, they kind of have revealed the preexistence if people have really read the Book of Moses, but I doubt Edward Partridge knows that. You know, it's, it, the Book of Moses hasn't been published. But they, they, the reality is, the radical aspect of Mormonism in in at the time of Edward Partridge's conversion is that it exists at all. This is this is interesting though, because if I if I think to my mission, if I really kind of reflect upon that. The, the the people that are that feel the spirit and are converted and ultimately are baptized, it's a pretty similar process. 
we talk a little bit about some some doctrinal things and some teachings as it relates to the restoration and some of those things. And you've got, uh, you know, I, I I don't know what I don't know what the kids are into these days with their missions with their. I assume it's fidget spinners and reading, you know, dark and iPhones. I I, 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 I don't know what you know. I'm not as I'm not as hip to the kids missionary wise. But in the fourth discussion back when we had you know Charles in yeah. the good old day. We memorize them and just recite them. The fourth discussion was the opening of the, you know, talking about the kind of the plan of salvation in a larger way. But, but ultimately, it followed a similar path. They would they would read the Book of Mormon, they would pray, and they would come to a knowledge of the truthfulness of that thing, and then from that. And everything and comes. and and with these with a conversion that comes through the Spirit. I mean. I think all of us know, and you probably know very well right now as you're waiting, you know, your son's mission call, right? Yeah. That the idea that anyone anywhere joins our church because an 18-year-old <laughs> said, hey, let me let you know something about life, it, it really is a miracle, it isn't really it? It really is. I mean, it, it, and and I'm not to put down these men and women who go out 18, 19 and sacrifice, I mean- you know, there are some of them who have, you know, the, the, the spirit of God, like a fire is burning in them and they are out preaching the gospel, but it's not because they have a PhD in theology that they're converting the people that they convert. It really, it really is evidence to the Holy spirit converting people. And, and what God has said that I've chosen the weak things of the world to confound the, the wise, right? That, the, the whole point is this gospel is so true that you don't have to have it along a theological lines. Are, are there theologies you can study? Yes. Are there so-called history podcasts that you can listen to? Sure. But ultimately, whether or not someone believes is going to be a spiritual experience and one that then naturally progresses to, if this really is true, and I guess all of this is true. It is interesting. As I was as I was asking the question about boy, his conversion had to have been the most miraculous. And not to say that, you know, it, it, the corn was straight. Yeah, the, I mean, I do also love that. But essentially, he joins the church the same way I don't know, the same way I gained a testimony and the same way that other they they heard the thing explained what happened they felt the spirit and then they walked two thousand miles round trip well yeah now that no no he didn't walk that far yet because he went from <laughs> kurt he went from painesville to you know to to palmyra and then down to to, to fayette so i mean that's several hundred miles but not yes he yes. hasn't gone to missouri yet. no yeah well, I, I just mean like like that that is that is actually kind of a beautiful thing. I think when I asked the question, I was I was thinking that it was going to be some miraculous thing, and ultimately his conversion was what most conversions yeah. actually end up. Being. It really is, and and you know, back to again, poor Lydia, right? I I don't think she thinks her husband is going to come back home a Mormon. Maybe he'll come back home and be like. No, they're yeah. not that bad. You know what? I, I'm not worried about people joining it at all. And maybe she, I mean, maybe she thinks there's a chance of them joining. But he not only comes back a believer, he comes back a fervent believer. And it is, you know, the first revelation 
that Joseph Smith receives in uh, Ohio. So he, he, he's commanded by God to leave in December and January of 30 and 31. Um, and he arrives uh, in uh, Ohio in, in February. And the first revelation he receives is the one that we covered several podcasts ago, which is Doctrine and Covenants section 41. And it names him to be the bishop of the church. Now, in today's day and age in the church, I mean, I'm not saying that anyone you know is trying to, you know, big time you by telling you that they were a bishop. I mean, hopefully that wasn't your bishop. But there are a lot of bishops. There are a lot of former bishops. I would guess in everybody's ward, there's more than one person who was a bishop, right? The, re- the reality is, with all the thousands of wards in the church, there are tens of thousands of bishops and then former bishops and because they don't serve the whole time. So the office of bishop is very important on a local level. We all understand that because we interact with it. But in that time period, there's only one bishop. There's just, just Edward Partridge. And not only does Doctrine and Covenants section 41 call him and not give him a handbook of instructions, Doctrine and Covenants section 42 then lays on him the fact that it's going to be his job that as people are consecrating all of their property to the church, so these are the people giving their property to the church, he is going to be the one deciding how much property they get back as a stewardship for the church. So I donate my 500 acre farm to the church and Partridge is the one who's going to decide, okay, well, you probably only really need 60 acres to farm on. You know, it's hard to, you know, think of a place where there would be any more contention than the position that he's in, where he has to be the arbitrator, not just of whatever religious experiences he has, but also of the fact that people are donating all of their funds to the church. For, for Partridge, when he's called on the mission, it seems like his heart sinks. I mean, now, now where we're at, it's June. It's June of 31. In December of 30, he wasn't a member of the church. Six months later, there's a revelation that says, hey, I know your family's sick because they've taken in all of these refugee Mormons from New York and, and and his daughter's very sick, but you need to go a thousand miles. And as Lydia Partridge says, there are people who make fun of him over it. They thought that he must be crazy or he would not go. She goes on to say, and I thought myself that I'd reason to think my trials had commenced. And so they had, but this trial, like all others was fall with blessings for our, our daughter recovered and Partridge walks down there is gone from his family for months to down to this this place of the city of zion and so partridge is somebody who has made enormous sacrifices and has become very committed to the church but even he when the location of zion is is declared looks around him and says Ah, can we get a second opinion on the revelation? So what we'll talk about in our next episode is, is we'll talk about Partridge's reaction and the reaction of other saints and how Zion is going to be built up there uh, in this new Jerusalem that's been declared uh, by revelation through the prophet Joseph Smith. 
Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.